Hello, friends. Hello. How are you this afternoon? Lots of answers, I'm sure. <laughs> if we had you shout them out. I'm warm. I'm tired. I'm happy. I'm this. I'm that. And it keeps changing, doesn't it? Keeps changing. Yeah. So, welcome to the roughly middle towards the end of the second full day of your retreat. And um, starting to settle, probably. Starting to settle. As you know, it takes a couple of days to settle down. So, if it's starting for you or just inkling that way, welcome to the club. It's, it's right on time. The first couple of days are a process of just settling and and working with, you know, the usual hindrances of sleepiness and torpor and and uh, so for some people anxiety, anxiousness, all of that. So whatever has been arising for you for the past couple of days, right on time, right on time. It's been happening exactly according to the causes and conditions of this body and mind. Sleepiness arising. Oh, right on time. <laughs> I was expecting you sleepiness because I came from a sleep-deprived life. And of course, I come, I come here and it's relaxing. And, and we keep telling you, I keep telling you, we keep telling you, relax. But of course. So right on time, right on time. It's all okay. It's all okay. We settle in together gently, slowly. <sighs> Not rushing, but staying. Staying with that gentle persistence. Gentle persistence. So it's not so much what comes up, really, but how the mind relates to it. Is the mind upset that sleepiness is coming up, or is it noticing it, or is it being with it? So notice, notice not just what is, what is coming up for you in your sphere of experience, but how the mind is relating to it. That could be the summary of this practice, noticing the object and how the mind relates. Okay, done, end the talk. <laughs> You can go back into silence. <laughs> okay, I'll say a little more if that's okay. Are you cool with that? <laughs> so, so what are we doing here? What are we doing here? Are we relaxing? Are we doing concentration? Do we need jhanas? Is this a thinking meditation? What? When to do what? When to do the concentration, when to do the analyzing that we seem to be talking about, like, what is going on? Where have I landed on this retreat? What's this about? So, so a few words, just, just a few words of clarification. These are questions that have, for some of you, have come up. For some of you, it's crystal clear, I'm absolutely sure. Just kidding. Um, and for some, it's, it's, you know, as you're landing, you know, the first couple of days, it is a process of landing in the retreat, landing in your experience, landing into both what is offered and also what you're bringing in and meeting, what, what this retreat is going to be for you. For every single one of you, it's going to be a different retreat. So, so let me start with, with the relaxing, as, as it's been said, as we've been repeated so, relaxing the body, relaxing the mind is really important in this practice. Um, having that balance of wise effort, and in the West especially, we tend to err on the side of over-efforting. Um, so, coming in, especially on a retreat, it's important for us to, to invite you to, to relax, to relax the body, relax the mind, so that it's not tight. And based on our own experience, my own experience, I can speak from that, that that the times that I've really worked really, really hard and have gotten over tight, it's taken even more time to 
to undo that, that over-tightening of the mind and the body. So starting with an open, easy, relaxed attitude is actually the fastest way from A to B. The gentle way is the fastest way from A to B. So that's our invitation. That's our invitation. And... And also we've we've um, brought in some um, Bonte especially has brought in the, the um, gradual training of the mind. Um, he's brought that in, and I'm really glad he's brought that in um, in order to set the stage for the first night or the first day. And the gradual training is not esoteric. It's really really straightforward and simple. So the four steps of it, the first step. Guarding the mind, and I love the the visual simile that Bonte came up with with the with the young teenager opening the house to everyone to everything. Just come on in, and and the house burning down. It's like that for us, especially in our daily lives. Sometimes we let every thought, we entertain every thought, even if it's not wholesome and helpful. If we just did that in our daily life it would lead to a lot more ease and freedom and happiness. This has been a part of my own practice, and it's so interesting to notice the times that um, I've noticed my mind picking up. I, I wake up in the morning, I'm fine. My mind then somehow picks up some difficult situation that's going on in my mind, and it's, it's not a wise thing, it's not in a wise way sometimes, um, the wise way would be to sit with it, to really feel what's going on, to sit with it. Um, not to create a play in my mind. She said this, he said this, I la, 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 you know, the plays that we play in our minds. And after 10 minutes, half hour, an hour, you know, choose your time. The, the happy mood that you woke up, that I woke up with in the day, it's gone because I've allowed in this guest that's not really profitable. I'm not really getting anywhere by entertaining this, this story that I'm not really resolving. I'm just playing it out and I'm becoming the protagonist that's been wronged and blah, blah, blah. So, so guarding the mind, guarding the mind from, from thoughts, from, from sensory input, that is not profitable. It's really simple. We do that here on retreat also. We, um, in retreat, it becomes guarding the sense doors. We tend to look down a little, um, a little more, not establish eye contact, not to, bring up, not to bring up a lot of stories, and just kind of keep the mind quiet. But especially in daily life, this can be such a profound practice to, to decide what, what visitors are you letting in. Is this helpful? Is this profitable? Does this lead to happiness? Does this lead to unhappiness, this, um, this thought? And of course, whatever one ponders upon becomes the inclination of one's mind. So again, guarding one's mind, guarding the senses. What, what is the proclivity? What are you contemplating a lot? Which will become the inclination of your mind, your body, your your habits, your life. So the second step of the this um, gradual training, the second stage, um, clear comprehension, comprehending, and I love that it actually came up in one of the groups today, and and someone was reporting that oh, as my mind is starting to settle some more. I'm starting to actually notice what is happening in my mind, what is coming up. Yay, that's it. It's not that esoteric. It's just that. It's just clearly comprehending, simply comprehending what is going on, what is happening in this mind, in this body, what is happening right now. It's simply that. It's not complicated. It's right here in the sphere of experience. You've done it many, many times today. When you've noticed a thought, when you've noticed an emotion, when you've no- noticed a, a sensation in your body, just clear comprehension. Exactly that, as your mind starts to settle. Simple enough? Okay. The third one. The third one is the calming of the mind, is the unifying of the mind on this gradual path. So 
So, and it happens gradually, it's the third step, because at that point, then we're ready to actually stay with an object, to, to actually be with the breath. And again, these steps have been happening for us together the past three days. They're not so linear, perhaps, in your experience, and that's perfectly fine. They can be, they can go in, in um, circles, they're actually more like... Um, a deepening circle, that there's some clear comprehension and then there's some settling of the mind and then there's some more guarding of the senses, etc. So with the third one, with the calming of the mind, with the settling of the mind, unifying of the mind, with concentration, concentrating the mind, um, we've referred to samatha, samadhi. Um, Samadhi is the state of concentration. Samatha is the verb, is the action, is the practice. It's the practice of concentration. Samatha is the practice. So again, we've been practicing that together in order to settle, calm the mind. It's, um, we've been working with, with, our, with our breath within the body. We've been working with the body. As t- today, this morning, uh, Venerable Jagara talked about it. So it's calming the mind. And again, the idea is that if you want to investigate, you want to have stability. Um, I talked about the binoculars. If you're looking at something, if the binoculars are unstable, it's really hard to see what's out there. If you put a stand, if you put it on a stand, it becomes much more stable. And you can see, you can see what's going on. So stabilizing the binoculars that stability is the stability of the mind through calming the mind, through concentrating the mind. And we've been doing that part of our practice. And then, and then let me pause for a moment because the question has been whether sh- should we do, what should we do? Should we do um, um, Vipassana, which is the next stage? Actually, let me go through the next stage and then I'll talk about it. So Vipassana, insight. Um, up to now, the first three steps, the first three tage- stages, were content meditation, as the Sayadaw has on his diagram. What does that mean? So content versus process. Vipassana becomes process meditation. So what is that? So the content having to do with guarding the mind from a content, from a thought that's coming up. Oh, noticing what this thought is, noticing um, uh, the clear comprehension of what is actually happening. It's the what. It's the what. Whereas the process is really the how, is the how, how things are changing, how things are impermanent, how things are not self. It's, it's that how. So we've also, so you've all been practicing, you know, you've all practiced, you've all done, uh, attended retreats before. And this, the practice of Vipassana, insight, um, can come in simply, and on this retreat we'll be also offering some other approaches, some other techniques that you've heard about and, and we'll work with also. So, so traditionally, vipassana or insight practice really refers to seeing the three marks of existence, seeing the three characteristics in everything. And the three characteristics are anicca, dukkha, anatta. Anicca, impermanence, everything arises and passes away. It's just the law of nature, it's just natural law. Anicca, dukkha, unsatisfactoriness, that inherently, nothing in this life is inherently forever satisfactory. And that relates, by the way, is it kind of falls out uh, of anicca. If things are impermanent, everything cha- changes all the time, how can it be satisfactory forever and a day? It can't be. And then anatta, not self, impersonal, ungovernability, things are ungovernable. We don't have control over everything, not even control over our minds and bodies. If it wasn't anatta, if it was atta, and if you had control over your body and mind today, 
think about all the emotions and thoughts you've had today. Would you have chosen them all? Would you? No. Didn't they just come up? Ungovernability. Uncontrollability. Anatta. And there are many practices that point us to see these three marks of existence. There are many, many, many practices. Many practices. I'll mention one. Um, so in in the groups today, I, um, some were talking about having recurring thoughts of worry or doubt or judgment, and I suggested that they count them. They count the thoughts. See how many, say, judging thoughts they have throughout the day. Okay, this seems like a fun thing to do. Okay, Nikki's being esoteric, whatever, I'll count them. But actually, this is a pointer. It's a pointer to anatta. It's exactly that, because after you start counting all these thoughts, it's like, whoa, look at that, number 200, number 300. It's like, whoa, who ordered this? And then you see the uncontrollability. It's really a pointer to anatta. So all of these practices really are coming from, from a place of wisdom. They kind of, they sound, kind of sound cool and funky, and they just count them. But that's what they're pointing to, and there are a lot of practices like this. So, so in this way, in this example that I offered you, it's a process. Med, it's a process. It's it's engaging vipassana by actually seeing the process. Like, oh, can't, you're not getting engaged in the judging thought. Oh, I'm terrible. Or, oh, I shouldn't be here. I'm. Oh, I did this. You're not getting engaged in the content. You're seeing the process. Oh, number two, number three, number four. Oh, look at that. Now they're coming rapidly. It's right after lunch. Maybe that's my most judgmental time. Whatever. Or it's right before lunch. Maybe that's the most judgmental time for many of us. Um, so, so you see, it's the, the, these four um, gradual trainings um, is what you have been doing. So the question of what are we doing? All of this. And and as the retreat is getting underway, we'll be offering more practices that if you want, you can try them on for size. Now, specifically in terms of um, the third and fourth, which is concentration, samatha versus vipassana, what should I be doing? Many of you have asked, should I stay with my breath? Should I investigate what's going on. So, so um, there could, um, the first thing I want to say is experiment. And, and, and um, you would like, uh, having a calm mind is a tool that you need for this practice. Because if the mind is too unstable, it's hard to see phenomena. It's hard to see things as they are. However, if if one engages too much, uh, so, so um, it, this is not a concentration retreat. So we're not going to be sitting and just doing concentration, right? We'll be doing some concentration, as we've been doing a couple of days, to stabilize the mind. And then we are opening up to, to investigation. And I'll say a little more about investigation in a moment, because it's not thinking. So, so we're doing both. So as you sit, allow your mind to, to get settled. Settle your mind on your breath. And then when something arises in your field of experience, then you can open up to it and investigate. Again, investigation is not thinking, and I'll say more. But you can settle the mind, and then when something arises, you can open up to it and investigate. And then sometimes it just goes away, and it... it then the mind naturally turns back to the breath and stays with the breath until something else comes up. And then sometimes that investigation actually can, can get the mind to, if, if the mind doesn't have the stability already, the investigation sometimes, um, if it starts to become thinking, you can lose the balance and you're like, you're in, in some story. Then, then it's best to drop it and come back to the breath, to the body, just to stabilize the mind so that that uh, binoculars, again, are stable and can see things clearly. And, who's the, and, and you are your own inner Dharma coach. The p- part of this practice is for you to become your inner teacher, your own teacher, and decide, what is right for me right now? Is it appropriate for me? Is my, if, you d- if you see your mind is really um, 
uh, unclear, unstable. Oh, maybe maybe this is what I need to do in this sitting. Maybe I'll just stabilize my mind for this whole sit. If you feel there is stability, then you can open it up to investigation, to vipassana. And you can go back and forth in a sit. You can go back and forth. So learn. We encourage, we invite you to learn to experiment with that yourself and see what what works, what makes sense. And you can err on one side and you get really, really concentrated or, or, or you, you'll err on the other and the mind gets too distracted. And it's okay, going back and forth. It's part of this gradual training for you to learn the patterns of your own mind. Each of you is unique. Some minds lend themselves really easily to settling. Some don't. Some, you know, you, you've worked with your mind more than any of us have, either of us have. So I wanted to, to touch and briefly say something about um, this, this analyzing that we've been talking about, the analytical meditation. It's not thinking. This is not thinking meditation. Thinking, no. <laughs> well, actually, there's nothing wrong with thinking, but this practice is not thinking meditation. Let me clarify. And again, there's nothing wrong with thinking. You can see the process of thinking. You see the process of thoughts come and go. Thinking is quite quite helpful in our daily lives. There's an, we don't have a war against thinking. However, in this practice, when we're talking about analyzing, it's not like, okay, let me think about this. What is that? What, what led to that? It's not that. It's really... It's it's observing, seeing, um, with the bo- um, body mind process. So it's again. I, I want to go back to the example that I that I offered with say judging thoughts. You you're not you you. It's not thinking. Oh, I'm judging again. Oh, what does that mean about me? What does that say about my childhood? What does that say about my parents? What does that say about this retreat? What does that say about the food I ate? It's not thinking. It's like, oh, judging, judging. That's what's happening. You feel it. You kind of feel the, 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 mm, the ouch of it. It's just you, you feel it in your body. You feel it in your mind. You're not thinking about it. That's the difference. And that way you can actually get some distance from the content to see what is going on in this body-mind process. Instead of being always being lost in the content enough already, um, you can see what is going on. You can have bigger, larger perspective, bird's eye view as to what is going on. What is the process? What is the pattern of this mind-body process? So, investigating reality, as has been the title of the retreat. So I've said a little bit about investigating, that it's not thinking, and will offer more ways of this investigation in the body-mind process. I want to say a couple of things about reality. I said, uh, I touched on this the first night, that the reality we're investigating is not something hoity-doity out there, out there, that reality thing. No, it's, it's right here. It's, it's our experience and our first-person experience. It's opening from the personal t- to the universal. It's interesting because in physics, for example, in science, um, being a um, a different discipline, science often likes to posit that there is objective reality out there. And it's interesting to notice that the claims of what that objective reality out there, those claims keep changing every few decades. And the theory, um, phys- uh, physics... Um, Theories get thrown out, and new ones come in. Oh no, we were we were not. You know, that's that's not right. That's not what's out there. That's not it's not it's not Newtonian physics. It's Einsteinian. Oh, it's not that. It's something else. It's string string theory. It's this. It's that. So, so um, with 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 um, 
our investigation, Buddhism is uh, posits um, it, um, it's a phenomenological um, way of seeing the world. So phenomenology, and I love that word because it's so hard for me to say it. <laughs> phenomenology is really whatever your experience is, first person. It's, it's not just what is out there, but how you perceive it with the equipment that you have, with the six sense doors. Buddhism has six sense doors, five of them being the five usual ones we know, and the sixth one being the mind door, where we replay everything over and over, the old songs and the old movies and everything. You know, It's, it's a complete, you know, we can play all the five senses in the mind door, in the sixth one. So it's actually interesting because um, even I think even in physics there 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 is this admission that it's not so much what's out there but it's what the um, it's but it's the measurement of the world through our physical equi- equipment. Uh, Werner Heisenberg, the well-known physicist, um, who came up with the Heisenberg principle says that what we observe is not nature itself, but nature exposed to our method of questioning. So similar, similarly here, it's really the apparatus, the questioning that we have, it's our mind, it's our five senses. And if you had a different sensory apparatus, the world would look very, very different to each and every one of you. So we've, we've talked about insects a lot, so far, so I'll I'll add to the bandwagon. Uh, so so many insects um, actually. So they um, insects have very different eyes. Their eye structure. They have as many as thirty thousand lenses per eyeball. Imagine if you had thirty thousand lenses per eyeball. Wow, you only have one one pair per eyeball. Um, the dragonfly, um, the, the, the brain works so la- rapidly that it perceives most movement in slow motion. And insects don't see color um, as well as other animals do. If you were a pigeon, you would be capable of seeing and detecting more subtle gradations of color than the most advanced computer program. If you're a snake, you would have night vision. Now you would have um, heat vision. Imagine having heat vision instead of the eyes you have. So, so your perception of the world is really dependent on the apparatus, evolutionary, um, that, that we have evolutionarily end, ended up with, right? We have these eyes that see some gradations of color. We don't see heat. If I saw heat, I would see all of you are very hot because it's pretty hot and warm in this room, right? But I don't. Um, so, so why am I bringing this in? Because really our experience of, of reality is really made up of our the, 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 the apparatus that we have, our sensory apparatus, our eyes, our ears, our, um, our receptors. So for us humans, we have receptors that respond to light, right? Not to heat. We have receptors, photoreceptors in our eyes for seeing, re- respond to light. We have in our ears, we have receptors that re- uh, respond to air vibrations. Hence, we hear sounds, right? We have receptors that respond to chemical stimuli, hence we, we um, sense tastes and smells. And the body receptors are actually even more interesting. So we have a series of receptors. So touch is really made up of several types of receptors. There are mechanoreceptors, which feel pressure, and you'll see why this is going to be interesting in a moment or relevant in a moment as I talk about it more. So mechanoreceptors that respond to pressure, thermoreceptors 
that respond to temperature changes, proprioceptors, which respond to body position, and nociceptors, that only respond to high intensity and potentially damaging stimuli. So often we, we interpret nociceptors um, as, as pain, as painful stimuli. So so investigating the material, what's called uh, in, in the set of practices, especially in Visuddhi Magga, in the Path of Purification, which is a thousand plus page of manual of practices, pr- pretty detailed in our Theravada tradition. So this path and those practices, um, before engaging with vipassana, before engaging with seeing the three characteristics of um, of everything, one can engage in what's called breaking the compactness of experience breaking the compactness of materiality and mentality. What does that mean? So let me first talk about breaking the compactness of materiality. And then if there's time, I'll talk about mentality or maybe leave that for, for, for later. So materiality, it's really talking about the body as Venerable Ujjagar was talking about today, this, the sensations, the sensations of the body. So often the body, we have this concept, this body, even if we close our eyes and we don't see, we have this concept that there's a, there's a body, it has a, a, a border, there's the inside, there's the outside, there's this, there's that. However, really what the first person experience of the body is, is really from these receptors that I shared with you, is really experience of heat, experience of pressure, experience of vibration, experience of coolness, experience of movement. This is what we truly, really experience as the experience of having a body in this world. That's what the experience of having a body really, really is. And that is um, what many of you have heard referred to as the four elements meditation. And, and Bonte today referred to that, the four elements meditation. What is that? It's really experiencing this body in its most elemental way, which is the most elemental way of experiencing being human, experience of this body is through heat and, and coolness and hardness, softness, um, these various four elements. So I'm going to pause here for a moment. And what I like to pause with is, I want to tell you something. So years ago when um, I learned the practice of the four elements from Venerable Park Sayadaw, I remember at first having kind of a reaction to the four elements meditation, just the term thinking, oh, I'm a scientist, that's my background. For me to think that the world is made up of four elements, is that what Buddhism is teaching, and how do I do this meditation? No, 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 no. Okay, you you don't have to do what I did. I'll save you the trouble. So <laughs> it's not about that. It's it's not so much about that. It's 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 um, what, what can really help. Um, it's really a... A beautiful understanding that the ancients had 2,600 years ago, uh, the Buddha had, that the, the 
phenomenological experience of this body is the experience of these four elements. So let me let me break down what the four elements actually feel like. So experientially. So the the earth element so the four elements by the way are earth, water, fire and wind. Okay, they sound esoteric, but they're not. Hang on. Stay with me. Stay with me. So the earth element is simply the phenomenological experience of your pre, uh, of your receptors of hardness, softness, roughness, smoothness, heaviness, lightness. These six, these experiences. Okay. And and these teachings are from the Visuddhimagga, by the way. And the water element is the experience, is experienced as flowing, for example, your saliva flowing, breath flowing, that's feeling of flowing and cohesion, the body held together. And some of these might feel a little conceptual. So if they're too conceptual, let them go. You don't have to make every single one work for you. Just just close enough, okay? Close enough, it works. Fire is nothing but heat and coolness, which we talked about earlier which were the thermoreceptors, right? We have receptors specifically for this fire element, right? Isn't that cool? They kind of connect up. I don't know. I have to say, as a scientist, I like the connection. And then the wind element is supporting and pushing. It's like whenever there's a breath or pulse and you feel this sense of pushing and pressure in the body, that's really experiencing the wind element. So... Okay, so dropping all of these for a moment. So what does this actually mean? What does this actually mean? What this actually mean is that as we are investigating, as we as we sit with the feeling, with the sensations of the body, inviting, opening up to experience the body in its elemental, breaking this compactness of experience as a body, and experiencing it as these elemental sensations, heat, pressure, softness, whatever there's going on, okay? And it's interesting because what can happen is then our perception, this this hard perception that we have of our body as a body and solid and this and that, it can actually disappear. There can be a sense that that the mind is experiencing sensations of heat and pressure and vibration in the vast space. And it's a really different way of us relating to reality, right? It's, It's not so much just a cool thing to do, but... It's really one way to free our mind from always experiencing or this experiencing the same way and taking experiences for granted. I mean, we'll be I'll be we'll be talking more about um, vipalasas, about um, uh, delusions of perception. But this is a way of of moving towards that direction to saying it's not always so. What we take to be solid is not always so. Just to offer another example, um, so the way of us experiencing our body as solid in a particular way um, is is automatic, and we unquestionably experience and respond to to it in a particular way. But it doesn't necessarily always lead to happiness and freedom this automatic way that evolutionarily we respond and see, perceive things in a particular way. Let me give you another example. Another example is the negativity bias. Again, evolutionarily, we all have what's called a negativity bias, which doesn't necessarily lead to freedom and ease and happiness. So what is the negativity bias? Just to clarify. So... I, I'll read the reference from, from Wikipedia, the source of all knowledge in the world. 
Negativity bias, also known as the negativity effect, refers to the notion that even when of equal intensity, things of a more negative nature, for example, unpleasant thoughts, emotions, social interactions, harmful events, have a greater effect on one's psychological state or processes than do neutral or positive things. In other words, something very positive will generally have less of an impact on the person's behavior and cognition than something equally emotional but negative. The negativity bias has been investigated within many different domains, including attention, learning, memory, decision-making, etc. But anyway, so welcome to your evolutionary heritage. It's the negativity bias. And guess what? It makes sense that we all have that. So let's go back thousands of years, back to our ancestors who were in the savannah. You know, they're, they're hunting and gathering, right? So if they missed the roar of, of a dangerous animal, if they missed something negative, they would be dead, right? If they missed something positive, they missed a berry, if they missed, I don't know, something like a fish that they could catch, if they missed that, they would go hungry, but they would, they would live till tomorrow to still catch the berry. But if they didn't catch, if they weren't heightened, if they didn't have heightened awareness, right, to, to that scary monster jumping out, then they wouldn't live long enough to pass down their genes. So guess which ancestors with heightened awareness to the negative lived long enough to pass on their genes to us. So evolutionarily, we have, we, we have this negativity bias. It doesn't lead to our happiness, right? But it's there, right? So seeing how that works, taking off those evolutionarily blindfolds, Ah, then you can see why your mind keeps ruminating on the negative and not so much on the positive. In the same way, we have this view of our bodies as compact. I have a body, it's this, it's that, it hurts. How about here? Here's an invitation to experience it in its elemental formations, in the sensations. And see what that might open up for you what that might open up for you. One way that it could open up, again, I, I'll, I'll leave all the rest of the ways as, as exercises to the practitioners. But one way is working with pain. So, pain Often we think of pain as solid. It's pain, it's bad, make it go away now. Right? It's, it's a compact experience. Pain, bad, go away now. Right? It happens, whoops, pain, bad. Right? It just, it's, it's a c- compact experience in our, in our minds. Pain, bad, I hate it, make it go away, I shouldn't have done it, or whatever, it's compact. Now let's break the compactness of experience of pain. Oh, there's a lot going on. There are sensations, there are bare sensations of heat, maybe of vibration, pressure, tightness, stabbing, whatever, sensations, raw sensations, okay? Then there might be a label that mind puts on there, Unpleasant, unpleasant, but they're separate. You can see them as separate. They're not together. They really are separate. There is this label, Vedana, for those who have heard the term before, feeling tone, which is this, like, yeah, unpleasant. And then, aside from that, there's yet another package of goodies, and that is aversion. It's unpleasant. I don't like it. I don't like it not liking, I don't like it, and then make it go away. So in the experience, there are all these different constituents of experience. There is the raw sensation, 
There is the feeling tone that's unpleasant. There is the aversion to the experience that's not liking. And on top of that, there might be a lot of other things on top of the aversion. Maybe aversion to the aversion. The aversion is, I don't like the pain, and then the aversion could be, oh, but, I, but I, you know, I'm an experienced practitioner. I should be able to work with this pain. And I should do this like there's a story on top of it, or, or I should have sat on a chair at the beginning. Or, Why did I do that? Why should, am I sitting on this uncomfortable you know, bench? It's, you know, there could be a lot of other con- storyline constituents. So, so this whole package has some physicality, some physical, some some raw constituents of, of physical experience, the throbbing, the heat, the stabbing. And then there are some mental constituents. There is that mental label that the mind puts on it, unpleasant, and then don't like it, and then make it go away, and then the story. So you see, if you don't break the compactness, it's just pain, make it go away. But when you b- break it down, you see, wow, it, you see all these constituents. And then what can sometimes happen is you see that it's just sensations. It's just sensations that are unpleasant. Ah, just sensations that are unpleasant. There's no running away. There's no hating it. There's not wanting to end. And that can change one's experience. That can be a moment of freedom, not being bound by pain, hating it, hating your life, hating the accident that happened, hating the doctor that didn't know it. Just, you know, it's a moment of freedom. It's just sensation that's unpleasant. So this is how breaking the compactness can lead to more freedom. Because all we're doing here is about freedom. Freedom of the heart, freedom of the mind, ease. Living with more liberation, both for our own sake and the sake of everyone around us. Again, it it might seem cool, wow, vibration, this and that. Yes, it is cool, but really, don't forget why we're here practicing. So I think this is a good place to to end and I'll leave for I leave the the nama the materia uh, the mentality and all that during another time because this was already a lot to work with so let's leave it at that and what I'd like to do actually is since you've already heard a lot of words I'd like to keep the afternoon silent but open it up now for some questions if there are questions yeah. You have some time. Yeah, please. Um, in that last part where you were talking about pain and, and breaking the compactness, yeah. was there a place to um, use the elements? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so the question is, in the last part when I was talking about pain, and breaking the compactness. Is there a way, is there a place to work with the elements? Yes, exactly. That is the first part, is the when I talked about feeling the the pain, the sensations as heat, stabbing, vibration, those are the elements, right? Because the elements is really is a short hand for the the sensations, the raw sensations in the body. Does that make sense? When I when we say elements, it kind of takes us away from the experience. I wish there was another word. So maybe just the first person experience, um, physical experience. Um, yeah, heat. So so just think about uh, f- experiencing the pain as heat, pressure, stabbing. Just really as its elements. Yeah, as its elements as the elements of how, how it's experienced in the body. That's, a, that's exactly part of the four elements meditation. Yeah, you're welcome. Ah, woo, who, who was first? Okay, you start. Uh, you opened with a wonderful line, the gentle way is the fastest way. 
But you said you didn't begin your practice with an understanding of that. It came to you later. Yeah. Can you describe a moment, an epiphany that you had that made you realize you were overworking? Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> um, oh, okay, this is a good one, I think, for me. So um, this is when I was practicing, actually, um, with Venerable Pak Sayada. And, um, and I, I was, it was when I was practicing with, um, with concentration first and it was the beginning of my practice actually with him. And I was working so hard to keep my concentration, my, my, um, um, attention right here at the nostrils and really concentrate, concentrate, concentrate. That was, that I was, that, um, I was breathing hard and not noticing it, and I was really getting really too tight and not noticing, and I forgot how to breathe. It was really painful. It was really, really painful. I I had forgotten because I was trying so hard to notice my breath. I was controlling my breath. I didn't realize I was controlling my breath. And that intentional control seized up the natural flow. And I remember not being able to breathe. It was like, how do I breathe? It was so, my, my, my chest felt tight. My mind felt tight. I had to, I did a lot of yoga. I laid down on, on a roller mat, which is really relaxing for me. I would just relax and like, don't meditate. Don't do anything. Just, just don't think. Just, just, just be. And slowly my body remembered how to breathe. And then I realized that's over efforting. <laughs> Don't do that. Yes, 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 yes. So let me repeat the question. So the question is that um, you felt many times there, there are strong emotions that are coming up for you on retreat. And, and right now you've said not now and you've pushed them away. So is there an opportunity? Is there a place in time for, for crying your heart out on retreat and just sitting with these emotions? Yes, absolutely. I invite you to do that and give them space. Um, the not now really is for thoughts that come and go, but if it's an emotion that keeps coming and really is telling you, hey, I, I need time, I need space, then by all means, give it that time and space. In a wise way, sit with it, not with the storyline, that is not so skillful, but with the emotion itself. Feel it in the body, feel it in your heart, feel what what, let it flow through. Emotions are, are energy in motion. Let it move through you. Does that make sense? Sounds good. Sounds scary. Sounds scary. What's scary about it? Um, I mean, emotions are sometimes not analytically understandable. Yeah. So emotions, yes, are not analytical, exactly. And we don't need them to be analytical. You don't need to analyze them. And simply sitting with them and titrate, open up as much as it feels comfortable and safe to be with the emotion. And if it, if it feels overwhelming, then go to a safe place in your body, stabilize, and then you can come back to it. Open, open up to emotions gradually. Does that help? You're welcome. And if you need to speak with one of us, please leave a note, okay? Yeah. When you talk about the meditation of the elements or elements that yeah. apply to kind of breaking down physical phenomena, yeah. I, mean, I can understand that in terms of heat and coolness and 
tightness in all the physical sensations. Yeah. But it seems to me that most of the difficulty I have with are through the mind sense door. Mm-hmm. How would you deconstruct some of those things so mm-hmm. that they're not some incomprehensible difficulty? And we can look at them as simply, I don't know, how would you break it down? Yeah, so, so the question is about uh, breaking down the compactness of really materiality, which is the body sensations, and mentality and, and mental formations. And um, in terms of the order of practice, the physicality is done first because that is easier. So I invite you to experiment with that first and the uh, breaking down the mentality and the, the, the uh, working with that is going to be the next step or the next part of it. So I haven't talked about that, which is why you're wondering like, okay, I'm, I'm glad you're curious. Stay on the edge of your seat and then and wait for the next talks that I will be coming up in the next few days. <laughs> but for now, trust that there is a wisdom to practicing with this first. There is a wisdom. So I invite you to give yourself to it and see what comes up for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. About light and dark, how do they fit in with the elements? Hmm. How do light and dark fit? Um, they don't because these are the physical experiences. You mean light and dark in terms of seeing vision? Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's the eye door. This is the physical. This is the physicality of the body. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So the question is, um, you're noticing that um, there's a lot of over-efforting and you're noticing how much um, extra harm that is doing in your practice and and how, and, and mentally you know, yes, I need to be more gentle, but if I can offer some practical ways to go about that, yeah. So one thing that I found helpful in my practice is that I check in very frequently with how the state of my body is. Very frequently. Because that example I gave you of forgetting how to breathe, that went unchecked for a while. If I had checked in early, like, wow, is there any tightness in my chest? Is there any tightness in my brows? My That would have been noticed much earlier. So what I do now is I check in. I check in, you know, experiment what time frame works for you, and that will... You know, you will increase that or decrease that. Be your own inner guide. Um, but you can check and say, um, you can, you might, maybe you've been sitting for, say, five minutes or ten minutes or less. Uh, maybe two minutes in your case. And then you check and say, okay, checking with the body. How, do I, how does it feel? Is it still relaxed? Oh, there's some tension in my head. That's a pretty clear sign you're over-efforting. And then relax, let go, soften the body, and then come back to whatever you were doing. So, so the body is a barometer, can tell you really clearly when you're over-efforting. We just don't take the temperature often enough. I hope that helps. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so the question is, am I suggesting that every time you're consciously breathing, you might be over-efforting instead of letting the breath just breathe itself and you observe it? Potentially, yes. Potentially. And see it for yourself because the, the effort, quote-unquote effort of meditation can be very gentle. The breath really breathes itself. You don't have to do anything about the breathing itself. This whole talk, right now as you're talking to me, you've been breathing. You haven't had to intentionally breathe. You will keep on going. You've done it for many, many years. So it's the training of the mind to see how gently, just with just light touch of a butterfly, 
you can let the butterfly sit on the sensations of the breath instead of pushing against it. So that is a training. And that might be different for you, new for you, but if you spend this whole retreat and just made friends with that, that would be worthwhile. So what you're talking about in terms of um, active breath meditation, there are practices, pranayama, which is very active breath meditation and lovely practices. They have their own time and place and they can be very restorative and helpful. For this practice, let the breath be natural and simply observe it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's this the same. It's just one. It's there are lots of different ways to to relate to to not self um, and not self. Um, there are different dimensions and aspects of it. And as a shorthand, I brought in ungovernability, uh, uncontrollability. There's also um, the um, this this being being a process, the not self. So yes, it's all in the same, and there are different ways to refer to it. But yes, definitely not self. I I, I was hoping I would put in I had put in not self in the room too, but I guess not. So thank you for bringing that up. Okay, seems like we've exhausted our questions. Oh, one more. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Is there a way to have gentle persistence? Yeah. Can you have gentle persistence and work with pain? So, so tell me more about what you mean when you're asking that question. What's happening for you? Is there anyone who did not hear that? And I'm happy to repeat it. Okay. So, so I think what what you're bringing up is is the middle path, is the middle way, right? Is is um, staying with sensation, staying with sensation that is not comfortable, uh, and working with it and seeing what your edge is, because it can be very instructive. It can be ext- really instructive. Um, to be with pain, because there are times that actually we have no choice. The pain is not going to go away. It's just it's pain in our bodies that is either chronic or end of life. Or this, so it can be great training to learn to be with that pain, and also knowing um, the same way that I suggested checking in to see when the over-efforting happens in the body, if the body's actually tightening. Notice if you're working with the pain, if your body is, is tightening and your brow is tightening, like, oh, I'm going to stay with this pain no matter what. Uh, uh, see if that's happening. And that's a pretty clear sign that it has become unskillful because staying with pain in that way too much can wither the mind. The mind just withers. It's just like, oh, it's just too much. But you want to play on that edge of, of seeing w- where your edge of comfort is, seeing if you can expand it gently a little bit, 
and surprise yourself like, "Ooh, cool, this is interesting. Okay, I can, st- I, can st- I can be with this too. And then seeing the edge expand and you can breathe with it and be with it with ease, not with grinding your teeth. You don't want to be with pain with grinding your teeth through it. That's the difference. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thank you all for your attention and for your practice. May you have a wonderful afternoon of practicing with the body, with the elements, with the sensations, the raw sensations in the body, and or whatever comes up. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.